Well, why don't we pray one more time? Father God, we ask again that you would have mercy on those outside. Show them your mercy and your kindness. Be generous, we pray. Father, we turn your attention to your word now. Cause it to bear 30, 60, 100 fold in our lives, that your name may be hallowed, that we may know Jesus more deeply, that we may love him more purely, more joyfully, and that he would be made hallowed on this corner of Benton St. Charles. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. It was a massive snowstorm called the Snowpocalypse or the Snowmageddon back in 1850. Young Charles Haddon Spurgeon was in that snowstorm. He came on a Saturday night. He was walking to church on Sunday morning, not detoured, still going to church, uh, but he couldn't make it. It was the, the storm was too bad, so he turned aside to a, a church that was on the way that he had never been to, and he entered um, as a stranger, 15 years old, and uh, just so happens the regular preaching pastor was snowed in, so a layman, much like myself, hopped up to the pulpit and opened his Bible to Isaiah chapter 45, Turn to verse 22. It says this, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That was it. He stuck to the text. He had a few things to say, but it was very short. That was his text. That was his sermon. But the word of God spoke. That was all Charles needed to hear. He looked to Christ for the first time in his life through faith, and the scales fell from his eyes, and the prince of preachers was reborn. That's all it took for Charles. And so tonight, as we're thinking about looking to Christ, as Charles did, uh, we're going to think that through together from Numbers 21-9. But to, uh, to begin, we'll, if you haven't turned to Numbers 21, we'll begin in verse 4. Number one, uh, Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And our verse for this evening. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and live. So what can we learn about looking to Christ through Numbers 21, verse 9? Five things, five quick things. And first, the first point is there is a paradox in looking to the cross. There is a paradox in looking to the cross. 
Jesus, as we have recently seen, teaches us in John 3.14 that the lifting up of the, of the bronze serpent here in the desert was a picture of his death on the cross. But why a bronze serpent on a pole? Well, it's a paradox. If you want to live, then you look to the very thing that is killing you. That's what's happening here. The Israelites are being killed by fiery serpents in the desert, and God's solution is to set a serpent on a pole so that if you look to it, you will be healed and you will live. That's a paradox. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make a lot of sense to the spiritually discerned. This is what makes the Christian doctrine maddening, right? It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Look to the thing that is killing you. And this paradox is a picture of imputation. You look to Christ, and your sin is transferred to him. He becomes sin. And when we look to him in faith, his righteousness is transferred to us. So the very thing that is killing us, which is sin and unbelief, can only be healed by looking to Christ. That's the paradox. Look to the one who died in order to live. Look to the guilty. Look to the, look the guilty. Look upon the one who became guilty for justification to be declared innocent. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, who shall be, bring a charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? No one. That's, that's the answer. No one can bring a charge because the serpent has been defamed. Satan can no longer accuse because it is God who justifies. This is why we as Christians don't stay in the guilt of sin. That is the temptation in living the Christian life. We like to snatch guilt out of the jaws of death. We like to hold on to it, and we like to sit in it in misery. I think that's the fleshly, knee-jerk reaction of anybody, Christian or not. But the currency exchange of the gospel is his freedom for our guilt. So this is where we got to exercise dominion over our hearts by preaching the paradox of looking to ourselves. Now, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you are one of those persons who is in unbelief. You're not, you're not quite sure. Maybe you're still holding on to your misery. Maybe that's you. But freedom can only be found by looking to Christ. But you got to look with faith. It's that simple. You have to look with faith. And that leads us to our second point. There is simplicity in looking to the cross. There is simplicity in looking to the cross. Anyone can look to the cross. That's what the text says in verse 9. The text says, if a serpent bit anyone, if it bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to take a step. You can do it right where you're sitting. Right now, you can look to Christ and live. A child can look. A fool can look. The most wise and discerning can look. Anyone and everyone is capable of looking. It's simple because Jesus provides the perfect holy life. He is the one who provides 
the ransom for sin by dying on the cross. He is the one who was raised from the grave. This is Jesus. This is what he meant when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He does the work. We are just spectators in salvation. If you go to a concert to see your favorite band, you spectate. You don't get to go on stage and jam with them. That's the simplicity of looking to the cross. You just spectate. Again, in Matthew eleven twenty-seven, 27, Jesus says, Come to me. This is a command. It's a command to look to him and believe that he is who he says he is. And when we do that, we put our trust and faith in his works, and then we are truly free. Now, the simplicity of looking is made complicated by our sin and unbelief. We are the ones who make a mess of this because we're bent on looking in other directions. The head rotates in a lot of different degrees. The eyes can go wherever you choose to lay them. And if we're being honest, looking vertically to the cross is probably one of the last places we like to look. It is in our nature to look to the other horizontal things that this world has to offer to us. And we know what the usual suspects are. We could name them. There's a laundry list of them. They're different for everybody. It starts when we're very small with the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I'd like to be a police officer or a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse or a teacher. Something we think is noble that will satisfy the longing of the heart and we set our life on course to satisfy that longing through those things only to be disappointed time and time again. But Jesus says, look to me. Look to me. It's that simple. So will you lay down all of your vain and complex efforts for the simplicity of the cross? For, for, for the simplicity of looking to him. And if you're not looking to him, what is stopping you? What is keeping you from looking to Jesus? Maybe it's point number three. Point number three is there is lowliness in looking to the cross. There is lowliness in looking to the cross. Maybe you don't want to be lowly. Could be. Maybe you don't want that. Maybe you don't want to be viewed that way. But that's exactly what has happened to Israel here in the desert. Looking to the serpent for salvation is an act of total desperation here. They are being bitten by fiery snakes and they are dying. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody die from a snake bite. I haven't. But I understand that neurotoxins, they attack the nervous system. The lungs stop working. You slowly suffocate. You can't breathe. Hematoxins attack the circulatory system. It causes internal bleeding, massive pain, massive trauma. So when you think about it, all the Israelites were capable here in this moment was really just to look. They couldn't lift a finger for themselves. There was no more works that they could perform. There was nothing left to boast in. They were brought low, 
Lowliness is the true posture of every single Christian before God. He brings you so low that all you can do is look at his son. It's a place of absolute powerlessness. You're not capable anymore of looking to the other things that used to bring you distraction. You're no longer able to look to self or the rest of the distractions that are in the world. They all come to an end, and the only viable alternative left is Christ. That is the lowliness of looking to, to the cross, and that's exactly what happened to young Charles on that snowy day in 1850. Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 6, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So this is the question. Are you something or are you nothing? Are you living by looking to the cross or are you still good to go on your own? Maybe you're not done mixing it up with the world. Maybe you haven't been brought low enough. Christ will refund you your misery. He will refund you your sin and your condemnation. It is a choice. You can have those things. It's a choice that many people make. We saw the blind man or the, uh, the invalid make it this morning. But when you make that choice, you're gambling with more than you probably realize because you're gambling with eternity. You're gambling on the fact that you believe the world will satisfy the longing that's in your heart. It's there because of your separation from God, and you're gambling that the world will be able to fill it. But I'm here to tell you that is absolutely bankrupt thinking. The world is bankrupt. And this, too, is an ever-present danger in living the Christian life. My flesh tells me all the time that I'm something when I am nothing. It whispers to me. It's very subtle. It's kind of like uh, the syndrome of boiling frogs. I get into the water, it's warm, I'm backstroking through it for the swim of my life, yet the water is gradually being brought to a boil, and I'm not even aware that it's happening to me. That's how subtle this kind of sin can be, and I'm sure, you know, I see head shaking, yeah, you know, I'm sure you can identify with it as well. So are you something or are you nothing? Four, there is mercy in looking to the cross. Of course, there is mercy in looking to the cross. And this is something we all need to hear. The Israelites hated the manna in Numbers 21.5. They never knew hunger in the desert because of this gracious provision from the Lord. Yet, They grow to loathe it, and he judges them for it. That's why he sends fiery serpents to kill them. And just as the manna was God's gracious provision for 40 years in the desert, Jesus is God's gracious provision to us as the bread of life, that sinners may look to him and live. But will you join the Israelites in their rejection, or will you accept God's good gift to you in the mercy of the cross. Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. You and I, we hated Christ with our sin. We deserve to die in it. So getting anything less than that is mercy. But 
This is because God wants to be merciful to you. He has provided the infinite mercy of the cross because this is what he wants for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't take joy in sending sinners to hell. The scripture teaches us quite the opposite. He wants everyone to be saved. Now, does that mean that no one goes to hell? Of course not. That's not what it means. Look at the prayer requests to Moses in verse 7. They prayed, they asked Moses to pray that God would take away the serpents. That's the prayer request. But that's not what God does, is it? He doesn't answer that prayer. The bronze serpent on the pole is used to save lives for those who are bitten by the snakes, for those who are dying. It is not used to answer their prayer by chasing the serpents away. In other words, you can't ward off God's judgment. He will judge sin because he is holy and sin must be punished. But no, that's not his heart's desire. His heart is that you would receive mercy. And that's important for us to know and believe about God. Mercy is why he did not spare his own son. All right, last. There is mercy in the cross. Lastly, there is also grace in looking to the cross. There is grace in looking to the cross. But this grace is namely the enabling power to live freedom, to live in freedom, to joyfully obey and serve Christ. And that's what the text says. Look at the bronze serpent and live. It doesn't say look to the bronze serpent and go on in your grumbling and your loathing. It says, look and live. It wouldn't make any sense to look and go back to the way that you used to live because looking with faith brings healing. That's what we mean by grace here. And that is what the phrase to live in this verse means for us. You are are cured from what was killing you when you look with faith. And that's what the the paralytic from this morning missed. He did not look with faith. You and I, we are healed from our sin. We are healed from our unbelief when we look with faith. And that also means you are free and truly to live, which means more than just being alive. It's more than just eating and breathing and sleeping and working. For for the Israelites, it meant that they didn't return to their grumbling because they were sorry. They were contrite. And they were now free to live the life that they were called to live in joyful obedience to to God. And so that is the Christian life. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. But that means we look to the cross every day for the grace and healing to live in freedom. The cross is not a one and done event. That's why we preach it on a regular basis. Satan comes. He will come. He will tempt you to lie, to covet, to envy, to retaliate, to fear, to despair, to depend on self. And when he does, then you look to Christ and the freedom that he supplies to you in the power of his resurrection. I want to just leave you with a word 
Let's give the, the Lord the last word. Romans 6, 5 says this. If, you, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives. We pray that anyone who hears this word and is not trusting in your son, that they would repent from their unbelief and that they would look to the cross and turn to Christ. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.